welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. We'll be reading Genesis 2, 5 through 17, and then Genesis 3, 1 through 21. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gion. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Let's turn to Genesis 3, verses 1 through 21. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, 
I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's go ahead and pray as we open up the word of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for just even as we get to be accepted into your presence and you allow us to open up your word and read about you and learn from you and benefit from you. And I just ask, Heavenly Father, that you would please bless us today as we open up your word and learn about the covenants that you have given your people and how you establish and administer your kingdom through these covenants. Will you please be with us and bless us? And so I ask, Holy Spirit, please fill us Help me to be a conduit for your word to fall fresh on us, to bless us and encourage us and strengthen us and give us what we need for our week to go out and take over this world, to bless this world. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your grace and your kindness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your obedience. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for opening our eyes and helping us and aiding us in our lives. Praise things your name. Amen. So as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about I was thinking about movies. You know, I love watching movies, but there's a type of movie that you watch sometimes that you don't understand until you get to the end. Have you ever watched a movie like that? Like, man, you could be watching the whole movie and you're just like, what is going on? Man, and then you get to the end and you're like, oh, now it makes sense. You know, the ending actually helps you understand the rest of the movie. And then you go watch it again, and it's like so simple and easy, and you're like, oh, it totally makes sense. Like, think of the movie Sixth Sense. Man, that movie makes no sense. Oh, sorry. But <laughs> I did not write that. That was <laughs> accident. But that, that movie makes no sense. And then when you get to the end, the guy's dead. You watch it, you're like, oh, it's so obvious now. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but <laughs> it seems like you guys haven't seen it. <laughs> it's a pretty popular movie. <laughs> But this guy's dead, and this whole time this kid sees him, is talking to him, all this stuff, and you don't know he's dead until the end. And then if you go rewatch it, you're like, oh, it totally makes sense now. And so the reason why I say this is because where we find ourselves in history with technology and with the plethora of teachers that we have when it comes to the Word of God, and where we find ourselves in this history of redemption, where we have the whole Word of God. And so we see the end, and we know what to look for as we read the Word of God. We know what to look for. We know the themes. We know the categories. We know how to read the Word of God that it blesses us. Something that people in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, didn't have like we have. And one blessing, one insight that we get is actually in Jesus' ministry. If you can, turn to Luke chapter 24. And it's really cool because... 
Jesus blesses us with an insight into his word on how to see his word and read his word and study his word and what to kind of look for as we're reading it. So Luke 24, starting in verse 25. But as you're turning there, I'm going to explain the context. So Jesus died, was buried, and then on the third day he rose again. His disciples go and they see the tomb empty. And they don't know where he's at. Some think he rose from the dead. Others are discouraged, thinking his body got taken away. And there's these two disciples walking on this road to Emmaus. And they're discouraged. They're talking about Jesus, thinking, oh, I thought he was the one to come and restore Israel. And Jesus pops up out of nowhere. And he's like, hey, what are you guys talking about? And he's, they're like, are you the only one that doesn't know about Jesus of Nazareth? You, you don't know what happened? He's like, no, tell me. And then they're like all bummed. I thought he was going to be the one to save us and help us and restore the kingdom. And then Jesus says, starting in verse 25, And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Isn't that cool? Like imagine being in that teaching right there. Jesus is walking with them and he opens up or at least quotes the Old Testament starting with Moses, so Genesis, and goes through all of the scriptures showing them how it pointed to him. Isn't that cool? Like imagine being in that teaching. And so that's an insight that we have as a blessing to us as we go to the Old Testament that we look for Jesus. It's exciting. And theologians throughout the years have helped us and aided us as we can read their books to help us see Jesus throughout the Old Testament. And one of those blessings that they've done for us is looking at it through covenants. And so this Advent series that we're going to go through the next five weeks is we're going to look at the major covenants that God has made with his people. We have seven major covenants we're going to look at that God has made with his people to bless us in all of his covenants and all of his word meets its climax and its purpose in our Lord Jesus. And so it's going to be really cool as we look at these covenants. It's going to be pretty heavy. It's not going to be your five reasons Jesus is the reason for the season. You know, it's not going to be that. So it's going to be a little heady. I hope it's enjoyable for you guys. I would encourage you guys to take notes throughout these series because it's going to be, I think it's something that's going to really bless you as you study the Word of God. And it's going to help you to see how God accepts us, receives us, and how we should receive Him. So yeah, we're going to look at the seven major covenants God has made with His people. And through covenants is the way that He establishes His kingdom on this earth. And through covenants is the way He relates to His people. Always when He comes to relate to His people, He makes a covenant. And what's really cool is, as Jesus was probably talking to these disciples on the road to Emmaus, I would assume he probably started from the beginning. What's really cool is he probably opened up to Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. And he probably started where we're going to start with the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. And one thing that you might have noticed is as Aletheia was reading, you might have thought, you know, as you look back at that story, you're like, it doesn't say anything about a covenant. You know, that's one critique of calling this covenant that God made with Adam in the beginning a covenant. Because some people would go, 
What? He never mentioned the word covenant. So why call it a covenant? And this covenant could be called, historically it's been called covenant of creation, Edenic covenant because it was made in Eden, the Adamic covenant because it was made with Adam, but most popularly it's called the covenant of works. But why do we call it a covenant? Well, just because it doesn't call it a covenant or say literally a covenant in there doesn't mean that the author is not trying to produce this, this thought or is not showing a covenant. Because one thing that's interesting, if you are familiar with Genesis chapter 3, it never uses the word sin, yet does that mean Adam and Eve didn't sin? No, but in Genesis 3, what's really cool is it, it gives us a picture. It shows how they disobeyed God. It doesn't say they even disobeyed God. It just says that they took of the tree. But God said earlier, don't take of it. And so it's really cool. Just because it doesn't say sin, that doesn't mean we can't say Adam and Eve sinned. Does that make sense? And so it would be a choppy way of writing this narrative if it's like, and then Adam took the fruit that his wife gave him. And that's called sin. It doesn't need to do that. Good writing doesn't need to explain everything that's happening. And so we have to remember that as this is written, this is written to the Israelites as they were coming out of Egypt and coming into covenant with God. So God gives them their covenant with him and gives them these five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Numbers. And so as they're reading this, culturally, they would have seen this as a covenant. Why? Because what is a covenant? A covenant is simply a promise, an oath, or a contract. We wouldn't say if we're like arguing about our contract with Sprint or Verizon, they're like, hey, you need to pay this. You signed right here. You're like, I read the whole thing. It didn't say contract once. No, you'd be dumb. You signed it. And in creation, God goes, because I created you, these are the guidelines. This is what you have to do. And so the covenant that he makes with Adam is do this and live, do this and die. So he says, if you do this, you will live. You will inherit eternal life. If you do this, you will die. And there's other things in the covenant, you know, like be fruitful and multiply, have dominion. It says subdue the earth. It says keep and guard the garden. And then he says eat of any tree that you want. But he says, and then the prohibition, do not eat of the tree that's in the midst of the garden the tree of knowledge of good and evil. When you eat of it, you will surely die. And so this covenant with Adam, if a covenant is simply a promise or an oath or a contract, God is making a promise to Adam. If you do this, you will live. If you do this, you will die. And he will get guaranteed eternal life if he doesn't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Does that make sense? You guys rocking with me? All right. And so, why call it a covenant? Another reason, look at chapter 2, verse 5. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Did you notice the title that it gives God? It says, Lord God, the Lord God. And if you read, starting in verse 4, is when Genesis starts to use that title for God. So all in chapter 1, it never says Lord God, it only says God. So it says God created. In the beginning, God created, God created, God created. And it's just because it's just talking about God as creator, 
But then if you jump down to chapter 2, verse 4 and on, it gives God the intimate name that he gave his people Israel when he met Moses in the burning bush. You know, Moses is like, who should I say sent me? He says, I am sent me. That's Yahweh, Lord, which you see the Lord is all caps. That's in the Hebrew was Yahweh, I am. So it's his intimate covenantal name. He lets his people know. It's kind of like my mom is here. Her name's Cherie. Well, I don't call her Cherie. Her covenantal name to me is mom. Her name to me, her intimate name to me, my relational name is mom. And then same with me, like the children's ministry kids, they call me Gaby Baby. That's a covenantal name, all right? Not all of you can call me Gaby Baby, but they can. But in relationship, God has actually given his name to his people, Lord God, which we translate it Lord God. And so you got to see that as, as him coming down to them. And so it's really cool. As he starts to create Adam, that's when now Moses starts to write Lord God. Isn't that cool? It's because it's his covenantal name as he relates to his people. And the Israelites would have seen this. As they were reading it, God created, God did, it, God did this, God did this. And now he zooms in to this garden where he's, he's creating Adam with his hands. He's fashioning Eve and now he's Lord God. And now he's Lord God because he's also making a covenant with them. He's, he's giving them a promise and an oath. And he's saying, do this and live, do this and die. And then why is, why is this important though? Why is you know, studying it like this, this covenant of works important? Well, for a couple reasons. One thing that we don't see totally in the text is that Adam in this covenant Adam is our covenant representative for all of humanity. And what do I mean by that? Adam is our covenant head for all of humanity in this covenant. God created man, and he sets before Adam this covenant of works. Do this and live. Do this and die. If he were to succeed, we would have all inherited eternal life without doing anything because Adam would have succeeded. He's our representative. And the way we know that is because what happened when he failed? We know we all inherit the curse, the punishment. Isn't that crazy? Like it's not some news or story that you hear of some random person that you don't know, don't have relationship with, that's like, oh, if he's, he's doing these obstacles and if he fails, everybody's going to die. You would cheer him on like crazy. You'd be like, oh man, come on, do it, please. You'd be hoping. And then if he fails, you die. If he doesn't fail, you get the prize. And that's what we see in Adam. And the way we get that is in the curse. Now all of the earth is cursed now. All of the earth. Now even in childbearing, it's going to hurt. All of the world is cursed because they let sin in. And we also see it in Romans chapter 5. Starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. And so it's interesting. What happened when he sinned? We all now inherit this punishment that he inherited. 
And so just like Adam, death reigned not only to him, but now to all of us. We all get the curse just as he does, even though we weren't the ones that transgressed or sinned like he did. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, why is it important? Is because it shows our current state. It shows why the world is broken like this. Because he failed the covenant that God placed him in. He failed the covenant of works. And so he doesn't inherit eternal life. He didn't inherit the world the way it should be because he allowed sin to come in. And I think it's just really cool. As I was studying this, I was just like, man, imagine if he would have succeeded. We would have inherited the land. We would have inherited this world the way it should be without sin. It would have been really cool. But what's cool is that we're still going to get that through the personal work of Jesus. But we just have this little detour that's painful. Oh, yeah. I was just like, man. I was like, dang, Adam. <laughs> and then why is it important? It teaches us about the schemes of the devil. Look at Genesis chapter 3. Why is studying this important, especially the first couple chapters in Genesis? It shows us the schemes of the devil. So remember that covenant name, covenantal name, you know, Lord God or I am who I am. The Yahweh God, it says, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So again, there, there it is, Lord God, all caps Lord. And then the serpent said to the woman, Did God actually say? What's interesting is this is the first time where we see now when somebody's talking about this Lord God in covenant with them, where it's now God. And I think that's purposeful. The serpent's trying to pull them away. And it's like if my mom and I was younger, my mom told me a, a command and someone comes up and goes, doesn't call her mom to me. He goes, did Cherie really say that? It's like pulling us out of this relationship. It's kind of it's sketchy. Like he's not using the covenantal name. He's not reminding Eve of her position with him and his position with her and the relationship. He's just saying him as creator. Did the creator say you can't eat of any tree? And it's crazy because even when now she calls him, she doesn't call him Lord God either. She calls him God. I think that's purposeful. The devil, the serpent does not want us to be in covenant with God. And I think that was true for Adam and Eve. And that's true for us. Now, as we enter into that new covenant, the covenant of grace, the serpent wants us to enter into the covenant of works again. Did God really say you're forgiven? Did God really say all of your sins are wiped clean in Jesus? The serpent throughout history does not want us to be in covenant with God. So why is this important? I think it's important to study because it shows us the schemes of the devil. The lies that we listen to, think about it. Is it trying to get us out of covenant with God? Is it reminding us of God as Father, as kind, as gracious, as loving? Or is it reminding us just the Creator who condemns, who judges? Or is it reminding you of the work that He's done through His Son to forgive you? And so think through that. And then I think, thirdly, why is it important? It teaches us about the character of God. And this is really cool. I love this story and I love this this doctrine of the covenant of works because it shows us the character of God. Because what did God promise? He said, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you would what? You'll die. You'll die. You deserve death. And this death is spiritual, physical, and it brings pain and division. 
But what's so cool is God could have left them. But look what happens. Look at verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? This is really cool. Because imagine failing in that way. And the punishment is death. Sin does make us hide, right? Think about the times where you're giving into temptation. It makes you recoil or go away from the community of God. And sin causes division even between marriage, and you see this pointing of fingers. But what's really cool is God doesn't just leave them on the earth and go, I'm done with them. I'm going to just curse them from here. He knew what they did. He already knew. Yet what does he do? He comes down, and he's walking. And they hear him walking. And they hide, but he approaches. And it's really cool He calls them out of their hiding. He calls them out of their hiding. I think that's a huge blessing, and it's something that we need to hear. That he's he's the one that approaches. But it also shows us that he's just because he does curse them. And he does judge sin righteously. And they will die. And they did die. But it shows us so much grace. Because look at also... Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And this is really cool. Shows us the character of God again. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Man, they just sinned against God. They, they see their nakedness, their wickedness. They see the thing that is now shaming them. They hide themselves. God approaches them. God comes to them. And what does God do? God doesn't turn his face from them, but he goes, you know what? Those little fig leaves that you're trying to, you know, cover yourself with, it's not not enough. And so he does the first sacrifice in all of history, and he clothes them. He covers the very guilt and shame that they were so guilty of and ugly. And one thing that's really cool is, like, just thinking about marriage. Like, for me and Lydia, when we first got married... I just, you know, had a lot of baggage and a lot of, like, stains and scars and all these things. And I remember getting married and having to confess at times to Lydia some of the things that I've done or did do. And it was really cool to see her, as I, like, metaphorically, in a sense, opened up myself and showed her the ugliness of my life. How it really hurt her, but she still embraced me. It sometimes hurt her and caused her pain, yet she embraced me. And it was one of the best pictures of the gospel I ever got. Because just like this, the thing that God should have just cast them out and been done with them, he so graciously comes down, calls them out of their hiding, and clothes them of the very thing that they were so scared to show him. Isn't that cool? And if we don't see his grace in that, I don't think you ever will. 
And so ever since the beginning, God's been gracious to them. But they did sin. And so it also shows that he has to punish them. And so he caused this whole world to fall into sin and fall under the rule and reign of the devil at that time. And they were plunged into sin. And sin seemed like it was ruling and reigning. But even in the midst of all this, God was gracious and kind, abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he makes a new covenant with him. And it's really cool. So as he's cursing the serpent, what's really cool is we see a new covenant come out of it. The theologians call it this covenant of grace. And that's what our church is named after, covenant grace, is this covenant that God made as he was even cursing the serpent. Look with me. So Genesis chapter 3, we'll start in verse 11. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And so it's really cool. In the midst of this, this cursing of the serpent, we see this new covenant come out this covenant of grace come out of this cursing that God has. They just sin against God. They deserve the death. They don't deserve anything else. Yet God starts a new covenant with his people, a new promise, a new oath with his people as he's cursing the serpent. And this covenant comes with at least two promises that I see. Look at verse 15. So he curses them, you know, about on his belly he shall go, dust, he'll be cursed above all livestock. Then verse 15, he gives the devil a promise, but also a promise to his people. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. So right here, between your offspring and her offspring, that word for offspring is plural. What he's promising is that there's going to be like these two groups of people. There's going to be the devil's offspring, the devil's children, and this lady Eve's children. And they're going to be at, at odds with each other. They're going to have enmity between one another. And it's really cool because who's, who's giving birth to all these kids? It's Eve. There's not these other people having kids. But from, from Eve and all these kids that are being born, there's going to be two separate people. How is that going to be? Well, it's going to be the people of God and the people of the serpent. And so it's really cool. He's, he's almost promising the church in this. He's like, and there's going to be enmity between your offspring and her offspring. And what's really cool is through the new covenant, we get put into her offspring through faith in Jesus. We're grafted in to that vine. We're grafted into that people of God through faith in Jesus. We are now sons of Abraham, descendants of Abraham. We are her offspring at odds in enmity with the serpent. Isn't that cool? And then the second promise that we see 
in verse 15, right after and between your offspring and her offspring, he says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now it goes to the singular. It's talking about one person from her offspring coming out and bruising the head of him, not one of his kids, of him. It's really cool. And so this promise that God's making as he's cursing the serpent is that you're going to be destroyed by one of her kids. Isn't that cool? You know, this isn't in Scripture, but I remember the passion. If you remember the opening scene, as Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's praying, and they have the serpent going up his leg. It's a really cool picture, and he's praying, and he's, he looks stressed, and it's hard, and he gets up and says, not my will, but your will be done, and he stands up, and then he crushes the head of the serpent, and he goes on, and the movie starts. I was like, man, that's deep. <laughs> but man, it's so cool how they pictured that and they showed that. Because Jesus is that offspring that's going to come and crush the head of the serpent and destroy all the works of the devil. And so these Israelites, man, even Adam and Eve, they're feeling the curse. The Israelites are getting in covenant with God, feeling inadequate, knowing now why they're sinners, knowing that they cannot obey knowing that even adam this perfect man could not obey now how much more can we but no they wait for this seed that's why genesis is just filled with seed language and offspring because they're looking for the seed that's going to come and crush the head but they're also building the offspring of her people and his people throughout the whole book and so the people of god have been waiting for ages and ages for this offspring or this seed to come to come and destroy the works of the devil. And we see it in the person and work of Jesus. He is the one that comes and destroys. But he couldn't just come as a baby. Because two things. He enters into the covenant of works. He enters into the covenant of works. And he is now the better Adam. Who fulfills the covenant of works on our behalf. And he is now our new representative head. He is our new representative head in this covenant where we can now benefit from his work and his grace and his kindness. But he doesn't just stop there because what if he just gave us his works? Well, we're still sinners in need of forgiveness. But no, he goes even further. He's the better Adam that doesn't only just fulfill this covenant of works and give us our righteousness. He's the better Adam that forgives us of all of the wrong that we've ever done. He cleans the slate clean by his death. And there's nothing we can do to earn more. There's nothing else we can do. He did it all. We earn what he earned. We're forgiven because he died. And if that serpent's trying to get you out of covenant with God, telling you that, no, you did something worse. Maybe God didn't forgive you for that. That's a lie. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for all of your sin, all of your guilt, all of your shame, even the things that you did as a little foolish kid, things that I did or things that people did to you. You're forgiven if it's sin because Jesus died. And you know what? You're righteous because he, he's our representative head that gives us of his righteousness. Just like Adam, we would have inherited the promise if he would have fulfilled it but we inherited the curse. Now Jesus is our new representative. Praise God. He gives us his righteousness. 
He grants us to this new tree of life. And if you look at Revelation 22, verse 2, it says there's this new tree of life that now we who in faith in Christ get access to that tree of life because of the person and work of Jesus, because of this covenant promise that God made from the beginning that he would come send a seed, a person to come destroy the works of the devil. Isn't that good? And there's nothing we can add to that. Nothing. So how do we enter into this covenant of grace? It's simply through faith, believing that he did it, trusting in him. And the Old Testament people and the New Testament people were saved the exact same way. There was no different type of salvation for the people of God ever. The only type of salvation was faith in God, was faith in this person, was faith for them in the coming seed, in the coming person. So they waited and anticipated for the birth of their Savior. And they waited and longed and were eager to see it because they wanted the curse to be reversed. But now we look back and we look at it and we rejoice that God was faithful to his plan. He was faithful to his promise. He was faithful to his covenant people. Amen? There's so much more implications that we can flesh out of this. But I was telling Eric, I was like, man, I can go for like six hours. And you guys would be like, oh, man. <laughs> but last verse I want to show you guys. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, it says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. I just want to encourage you, if any of you are feeling trapped by temptation of fear or temptation of sin or anything like that or being beat down, I would encourage you, the devil does not want you to be in covenant with God. The devil doesn't want you to know his grace and his kindness towards you. But I would encourage you, repent from those thoughts, ask God to forgive you of those thoughts, and fill yourself with the promises that he's made. Fill yourself with the promises in Scripture that those who believe and confess their sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive them. Because seriously, like there's times where I'm just, destroyed by my memories of what I've done and even destroyed by the things that I've done during the week and it could beat me down but we are saved through faith by grace alone through through Christ alone that's it we don't add anything else to it he's our covenant head he's our representative he has earned it for us if any of you are struggling in any way please ask God to forgive you and walk in that forgiveness. He has paved the way. He's paid it all for us. Amen? So, in this covenant of works, Adam sinned. Adam failed. He broke the covenant of works, and we all inherit the punishment. But in the covenant of works, we have somebody who entered into it, Jesus, who now fulfilled that covenant of works. He did all that the Father commanded him. And he gives us his righteousness. But not even that. He also gives us himself as our priest, as our sacrifice. He offers a sacrifice once for all so that we may be able to enter in to the presence of God.
fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully righteous because he is our representative in this new covenant of grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am extremely grateful for your word and I'm extremely grateful for all that you've done for me and all that you've done for us. And I'm just, I get overwhelmed sometimes that how good you are to us because we are so undeserving of your grace and your kindness. We're so undeserving for you to actually come down and walk with us. We're so undeserving for you to come and call us out. We deserve for you to leave us. You could have just left us in our sin. You could have just left us to die. We could have just left us to just rot and just be controlled by the serpent. But you're so kind to us that you, you call us out. You're slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Will you please help anybody who's hurting right now remember that, embrace that, and be freed from the power of the devil because you came, Jesus, to destroy the works of the devil. Will you please give us a glimpse of that more and more in our lives? Help us. Give us your Holy Spirit. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing it is, and we thank you for the gospel, how you planned it from the very beginning. Right when they sinned, you had it ready. Right when they sinned, you promised to send somebody. Jesus, thank you for your obedience, even to the point of death. Thank you. Thank you for getting up and not following your will, but fulfilling the Father's will. We praise things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.